Amen. Grab your Bibles. We'll be in John chapter 11, page 1236 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Page 1236. If you are visiting with us today, I am Matt. I am also one of the pastors here. I am the other bald pastor here. We do have one with hair. John chapter 11, page 1236 is where we'll be today. If you'll grab your Bible. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for your word that we sit before. And uh, Lord, we pray this morning, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, so many times, God, we are dealing with situations. Uh, God, we're dragging things along. And uh, Lord, you have a plan for us. And uh, Lord, your plan is that we would be free. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would set people free. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a confession to make. A few weeks ago, I went to McDonald's. I know it was late. I was hungry. And so it was just one of those weak moments of my life. And so I went to McDonald's and I pulled up in the drive-thru. And people were ahead of me. And so it's like 9 o'clock at night. And so people are ahead and, you know, they pull up to the little speaker and order and then move around. And so it was my turn. So I pulled up to the speaker and uh, no one said anything. And so I said, uh, hello is anyone there well no one said anything so I waited a minute or two hello is anyone there no one said anything so I thought logically it must be broken so I pulled around to the first window you know you pay the pay window and then the get your food window and so I pulled around well no one was there and I thought well I just saw an arm stick out that window so I know someone is working so I waited and so about a minute or so later someone came to the window and she had a headset on and she's taking orders and so finally, after two or three minutes of me sitting there, she noticed that I was staring at her, so she opens the window. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, I think the speaker must be broken back there because um, I didn't hear anybody say anything. And she said, oh, it's not broken. I didn't say anything on purpose. I said, oh, well, good evening. How are you today? You know? And uh, I said, well, okay, well, I'd like to place an order. Now, mind you, we're at the order window with her order headset on, punching orders into a computer. And she says, I'm sorry, I can't take your order at this window. And I said, that's, that's why this window exists. And she said, uh, well, I can't do it. And uh, I said, well, what do you propose that I do then? And she said, you can go back around and get back in line. To which I responded, no, I will not do that. I will go to Chick-fil-A where they love me, and they meet me in the parking lot to take my order. So I got on I-10 and drove down to Chick-fil-A and got a tasty, crispy fried chicken sandwich. Because Chick-fil-A loves when you visit them, and they act like it, right? But yes, these silly rules, right? This silliness of, oh, I can't take your order at this window, right? There's all kinds of things in our life that are that way you know some now that you know that are new some things that have been around for a long time but these restrictive things of you can't do this right just sometimes I, I scratch my head and think did you think about this before you actually said it right I can't take your order at this window but you're taking orders at this window right it just doesn't make any sense and I think sometimes following Jesus we think of that uh, Jesus that way right that we can't do certain things if we follow Jesus 
I've heard that all my life. Well, you know, one day when I get my life right, I'm going to follow Jesus. Or, you know, you Christians, you know, you're always about what you can't do. And unfortunately, that's mostly true, right? That we say, oh, I can't do that, or I can't do that, or I can't do that. But you see, following Jesus is different than that. The Pharisees were big on can't. And they became so focused on things that you can't do if you want to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, after 400 years of silence, the Pharisees came up with 613 can'ts. Here's the things that you can't do. Here's all the rules and the laws, 613 of them. And so here's Jesus right in front of them, and they're coming up with all these things that you can't do. So what I want to encourage you with today and what we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about is that Jesus is actually for you. You see, as we've discovered in the four series, that God is actually more interested in being for us. That God is for us. It feels good to know that people are for us, doesn't it? Right? Like we want to know that we have people on our side that are, that are for us. I remember a few years ago, uh, my grandfather passed away. And the guys that were in my D group, a few guys, uh, made the journey three hours one way to be at the funeral. And that meant a lot to me. You know, it was the most difficult sermon, uh, you know, funeral service that I've ever preached. And to see these guys that know me and that love me show up and support me, that meant a lot to me, right? And it's the same thing for you, that there's people in your life that, you know, it feels good to know that they're for you. And so this morning, I want you to know, in case you don't, that Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you. As a matter of fact, at the onset of his ministry, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives or prisoners and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, Jesus is not preaching to a bunch of blind people in jail, okay? He's not saying, I'm going to set the sight, give sight to the blind to set the captive free. These aren't people that are behind physical bars. These are people that are behind spiritual bars. And you see, one of the things he says here at the end is to set free or set at liberty those who are oppressed. The word oppressed here means broken into pieces. Now, we would all agree that the world is broken, right? And we would all agree that not just the world is broken, but, but we are broken. And that Jesus Christ is our only hope. I mean, if you look around today uh, and you don't have Jesus, I don't know how you're surviving, right? I mean, everything is happening. All these things are taking place. And so Jesus is clearly our only hope. And so what happens in this brokenness is that this brokenness in our lives often leads to imprisonment for us. That we become imprisoned in our own lives by the brokenness that exists in our life. You see, at my house, I hate weeds. You know, the weeds in your lawn that grow and, and they smother out good grass and then they multiply. I absolutely despise weeds. And I have declared war at my house on weeds. All right, so we're going to get a little horticulture lesson today. I have done everything that I possibly can do to destroy weeds. Last year, when we weren't allowed to see people, I went and rented an aerator, and I plugged a bunch of holes in my yard. If you know what that is, it's where you dig holes out so the ground can breathe. So I've aerated. I've fertilized. 
I have used weed killer, and I don't need any suggestions for weed killer because I have used all the really potent stuff that absolutely kills every weed, including most of your grass. I've tried all that, all right? Here's what I've learned in my journey to annihilate weeds, that if I only treat the weed, I am fighting a losing battle. For three years, I fertilized faithfully on schedule. I watered. I tested the soil. And every year, I still got weeds, specifically the satanic little weeds called little mimosa. Those are the worst. Chamber bitterweed or whatever they're officially called. I've gotten every kind of weed, the dollar weed and all of these weeds, and I don't like any of them. The only way that I have effectively been able to get rid of weeds is if I treat the root. It is the only way that you can effectively get rid of weeds. Now, it's the same thing that can be said in a lot of people's lives. That below the surface in a lot of people's lives, there are very deep-rooted issues. Some of these roots you're aware of, and some of these roots that you you may not be aware of. And, And what's happened in our lives is that we're trying to treat these weeds that have popped up in our life. And all the while, underneath the surface, the root continues to thrive. You see... People, I think, who deal with these, and we're going to talk about a few of them today, that you want to be free, right? Like, like me, I want, to, I want to remove the root. I don't want the weed to be there in my life. And you would say the same thing, the things that you struggle with, the things that keep you in bondage. You would say, I want to be free from this, but you don't feel free from it. Some of these roots in our lives run very deep, and they continue to keep us in bondage. And you would say this morning... If you were being honest, I want to be free. I want to be free from the condemnation that exists in my past. I want to be free from the shame (coughs) that follows me around. I want to be free from guilt of the things that maybe you've done or things that have been done to you. Well, the good news this morning is that Jesus also wants you to be free. You see, Jesus is for your freedom. Remember what he said in Luke chapter 4. He said, I have come to set the captive free. Jesus said in the book of John that when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And so if you're here this morning and you're carrying that baggage, if you're in bondage to some of the roots that exist in your life, the good news is you can be free. You see, some people think that if they just show up for church that this will change things. And so they think this change of action will do something. Some people think that if I say the right things, You know, like Paul said in his video that I don't have to say the right thing, but a lot of people believe if I say the right things that it will ward off this situation or if I do the right things. But what happens is when you you try that and it doesn't work, well, then you fall victim again and again to this cycle of sin and situations that have kept you in bondage for so long. And so you become disappointed. You're disappointed that It didn't work. You're disappointed that God didn't do what you asked. You're disappointed maybe that a pastor or a Christian said something or did something that you thought they should do or you thought they shouldn't do. And so now you're walking around with all of this baggage. Well, can I tell you this morning a couple things? Number one, the institution of the church was never able to set you free. It is only Jesus who can set you free. There is no person besides the person of Jesus Christ that is capable of setting 
you free. And so if you want freedom, freedom is found in Jesus. And so we're going to spend the next few minutes looking at John chapter 11 and the examples of the things that keep us in bondage. Okay, John chapter 11, if you've got your Bibles there. This is what the Bible says, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he and the disciples, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the, the light is not in him. After these sayings, uh, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Now, most of you are familiar with the story of Lazarus, how God raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, there are many applications of why Jesus told this story, but I want to start and be clear about what this story is not about, okay? This story is not that everyone who gets sick or everyone who passes away will be healed or brought back to life. I have lost loved ones. I mentioned my most recent grandfather passing away. Uh, you, many of you have lost loved ones. And so for some people, God has healed those who have been sick. For other people, God has welcomed them into eternity. So the point of this story and the point of our experience with this type of story is that God would draw us to himself in those moments and that God would reveal more of who he is. But today I want to look at this story from a very different perspective. You see, what this story illustrates is that many of the roots in our own lives that hold us in bondage. And so I want to explore just a couple of things that I believe uh, hold people in bondage in their life. This may be you this morning. And I, I know, as we've started with, that Jesus wants to set you free from this. And so I, I want to ask you to be open to the reality that this could be true in your own life. You see, the first place that we see is that there was bondage to the past. Many people live in bondage to their past. The things maybe that you've said, the things that you've done, the things that have been done to you, and you're carrying those things into your present. Jesus never intended for that to be the case. You see, the disciples had bought into this undercover Christianity. Jesus was becoming noticed uh, the Romans weren't very happy about it. Of course, you can read about that in any of the Gospels. And so the disciples were very afraid that if they disclosed themselves as followers of Jesus, it may end up in their own imprisonment and possibly their death. In the previous chapters, we see where the Jews tried to stone Jesus. And so what Jesus is explaining here at the very beginning is that when we choose to walk in darkness, 
darkness is what we get. You see, every one of us prior to our encounter with Jesus Christ was not only exposed to darkness, but we lived in darkness. We, we didn't just know about darkness, we were darkness because anything apart from the Son of God is darkness, right? And so here we see Jesus, he's explaining to the disciples, look, who you were is not who you are today. And he gives them the metaphor of light and darkness. You see, what happens for people is oftentimes we drag our past into our present. And when you don't rid yourself of the roots of your past, what you do is you expose yourself you expose yourself to the continual dangers of evil. Now, I know this is something maybe you haven't spent a lot of time th- talking about or thinking about, and so let me give you an example. Let's say that I have a pet rattlesnake, which for clarity, I do not. But let's say that I do, okay? Let's say that I have a pet rattlesnake, and I decide, I find out that, hey, rattlesnakes are actually very poisonous, and they can kill you. And so I say, okay, I've got this pet So I'm just not going to feed him anymore so that he won't grow and be healthy. If I leave that rattlesnake in my house, I'm still in danger of being damaged by that rattlesnake. I grew up in the country. I've killed a ton of rattlesnakes. I've been around a bunch of rattlesnakes. They're dangerous. All right? And if you don't rid yourself of that pet rattlesnake, guess what's going to happen? Even though you don't feed him and you ignore him and he's hiding from you, he's still present. And he can still damage you if he gets close enough to you. And it's the same thing when it comes to our own lives with our past. That if we allow the evil and sin of our past to continue to linger in our life, that we're exposing ourselves to the danger of the present that evil can bring. You see, following Jesus in the spiritual realm, when we live in the will of God and by the will of God, we are safe. But what happens so oftentimes in our life is we allow things from the past to be drug into our present. Following Jesus requires a completely new way of thinking. And when you repent from your past, you must also remove any association with sin from your past. You have to. You can't continue to allow that into your present. And so when you repent, you have to remove every bit of that. Here's the deal. You are, listen, when you repent of your sins, you are forgiven of your sins. God wants to deliver you from the bondage of your past. He has a plan for your life. He wants you to serve Him in your house. He wants you to serve Him at work. He wants you to live a life that honors Him. But if you continue to drag all of that from your past into your present, you are still in bondage to that. You see what repentance is? Uh, It's the word to turn completely around. And so if I'm going in the direction of sin and I repent, I am turning my back on that. And I'm moving towards Jesus. And for so many people, your past is speckled with things that happened that shouldn't, things that you were involved in, things that were done to you, and you continue to allow that to hold you in bondage. For some people... To be set free from their past means that you need to be saved. That you need to repent of your sins. That you need to ask Jesus to forgive you and to receive the light that only Jesus Christ can offer. If you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm a believer. I've asked Jesus to forgive me. I've turned from my sins, but maybe there's still some lingering effects of that. Well, it's time for you to wake up. 
Jesus said about Lazarus that he is going to awaken him. And what's happened in our world today for many, many, many believers is that they have been lulled to sleep and allowed things to stay in their lives that have no business being there. Now look, I'm not going to give you a list of things that you should and shouldn't be doing. What I am saying is that you ought to be running as fast and as far away from the darkness as you possibly can. You see, we think that we can still allow the dark things of our past to be a part of our present. And what God wants to do and what God wants us to see in this scripture here is that he wants to awaken us to the reality of the power of God that is within us. You see, everything changes when you walk with Jesus. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. Not some things, not most things, all things. And so that means that the the history of your past, whatever it is that you've done, it doesn't matter. Whatever's been done to you, that is in the past. You have to relinquish that. You have to let go of it and find freedom only in Jesus. Stop allowing the things of your past to keep you from your future. You see, Jesus is for your future. Jeremiah 29, 11, you probably know. Jesus says that I have plans for you, plans to prosper, right? Romans 8, 28, all things work together to the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God has a plan for your life, and that involves your future. That's why eternity lasts forever, right? That he has a plan for you. So stop allowing your past to keep you from becoming who God wants you to be. So there's, the bond, number one, the bondage to our past. Let's pick up in John eleven seventeen. 17. It says, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, and this is jumping to verse 32, she saw Jesus and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same exact thing that Martha said. And so not only are are a lot of people in bondage to their past, but the second thing that we see in the scripture is that a lot of people are in bondage to their beliefs. They're in bondage to their beliefs. Maybe, Maybe it was the way you were raised. Maybe it was something that someone told you. We all have various beliefs that hold us captive. I know I'll give you a couple for me. So I was raised uh, in legalism. And so one of the big things that a lot of the churches was, uh, if you don't read King James, then you're not reading the Word of God. I know that's a controversial topic. I know people say, I heard it, I've heard it said before, if the king ain't on it, the king ain't in it. You ever heard that? Right? And so it was, well, if you don't read King James only, then you can't be saved. Well, that's not true. What about people in other countries that can't read English, right? So that was a big thing. Uh, Here's another one. So uh, I used to believe that if you drank alcohol, you were lost. I know this is a touchy subject, so I'm just giving you Matt's opinion. But I I used to believe that if you drank alcohol, you were lost. And so I remember going to seminary and uh, being exposed to people from different parts of the world, you know, the South, and everybody's got their own cultural things. And uh, I remember having debates and then, you know, realizing that I'm wrong, okay? So I want to be very clear about this. 
If you drink alcohol, does that disqualify you from salvation? The answer is no, okay? The only thing that disqualifies you from salvation is denying Jesus. Now, do I think people should drink? Do I think Christians should drink alcohol? No, I don't. I don't think you should. I don't do it. I don't think people should do it. My opinion. I don't think anything good comes from it, and I don't think anybody who does it looks back and says, I'm glad I did that. That's just my opinion. But it doesn't disqualify you from salvation. And so what happens in our life is we have these belief systems that we've established in our life or we've been told in our life, and we base everything on those things. And we're in bondage to those. Listen, if I think that you've got to do a certain thing or not do a certain thing to be saved, I'm deceiving myself. It's all based on works is what that is. It is a work-based mentality that if you do or don't do things, then you can be saved. The Pharisees couldn't see beyond their own rules to see Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, right in front of them. And what Martha had done, we see here in John 11, is she had established a belief in her mind that only good things happen when Jesus was around. Right? Don't we think that? That, that everything, if I follow Jesus, everything's going to be good. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to have plenty of money. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to have plenty of friends. If I follow Jesus, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. There are people who believe that. Unfortunately, that is not true, right? And so here's Martha, the worker, and she believed that you had to earn the things that you did. Remember a few weeks ago, Martha was complaining because Mary wasn't working. You see, when you don't understand what God is doing, or you think he should do something different, what happens is people often revert to their old belief system. And so they go back to what someone told them or what they've always done before. And with Mary, she had, she had no context for resurrection. Right? Jesus said, uh, you will see him again. And she says, I know Jesus. Uh, that the Bible says that there will be a resurrection of the dead. And Jesus said here in John 11, we're not going to read it today, but Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? She didn't have context for that. And so she reverted back to her old belief system. You know what else Mary did? Or Martha did? Mary did the same thing. Is she established the fact that Jesus was at fault for Lazarus dying. Right? If you hadn't been here, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. So many people live in this cycle of belief that places their own personal expectations on God. Right? You believe things that you think God should do. And when God doesn't do those things, you're disappointed in God for him not doing what you thought he should do. And then what happens is people, they get upset or they get uh, discouraged and they end up stopping. And then for the rest of their life, they do nothing. Because God didn't do what I thought he should do. We were talking about this in small group today. What if God only did what you thought he could do? You'd have a real small God. You know that? Right? If he only did what you thought he could do. You see, our, our belief system often limits us to believing things that are actually possible. You see, when our expectations aren't met, oftentimes we blame God for it. And people sit in the same spot in their, the, in their lives, oftentimes for the rest of their lives, like a little kid who doesn't get their way. You see, in order for Martha to receive freedom in this situation, Martha had to relinquish what she thought was possible and to believe on the one who makes all things possible. She had to let go of what she believed was possible. There was no context in her life for resurrection from the dead. Read the Bible for yourself. 
Don't base your belief system on what someone told you or the way that you've always done it. Base your belief on what God actually says. Stop waiting for everything to make sense. Stop waiting for all of the answers. You have to go in faith on what you know now to be true. You see, it's beliefs, it's the past that often holds us back. But there's a third thing this morning. In verse 20, remember we read it, it says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So the third thing that we see this morning is your circumstances. You're in bondage to your circumstances. Look what Mary did. Mary stayed seated. Mary stayed right where she was at. She sat in her circumstance. To Mary, there was no reason to move. Lazarus is dead. You showed up late, Jesus. If you'd been here earlier, things would be different. And so Mary decided what she should do is just sit in her circumstances. We've all done this. What happens is we have these circumstances that happen, and, and, and oftentimes it's a bad circumstance, and we say, all right, well, this is very overwhelming. And so circumstances often have a way of forcing us to believe only in the here and now. We get tunnel vision, right? We can only see right now. We can only see this one moment. Listen, I I want you to know this morning that there is no circumstance, either past or present, that defines you, nor does it define God. Let me say that again. There is no circumstance, past or present, that defines you, nor defines God. We don't have the entire picture. I don't know the before or the after. And what Mary Mary and Martha were doing here is they were looking at life through the lens of the here and now. They were only seeing things from the physical. That Jesus was trying to show them the spiritual. Right? I don't know what circumstance you're in this morning. I don't know if this is God using it to speak to you. But here's what I know about circumstances. Most of the time, circumstances are overwhelming. And that's why, just as Pastor Tony preached last week, that community is so important to help you to have context in those situations. But here's what I want you to think about this morning. Mary shows up to Jesus. Martha shows up to Jesus. You and I have shown up to Jesus, and we've said, if you had done something differently, it wouldn't be like this. Right? We would all confess to that. But here's the question. As I began to think about Mary... And I began to think about this situation, which is a traumatic situation. And then I read John 12, where Lazarus, you know the story, Lazarus eventually is raised from the grave. Mary and Martha have this big get-together. Of course they do. Here's a guy who was dead for four days. Now he's alive. And so they have this get-together at their house, and they're excited about what happened. And the local newspaper is there, and the reporter's interviewing Lazarus. And they're like, hey, man, what happened? And what did Jesus do? And he said, man, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Even Martha said, Jesus, he's been dead so long he stinks. And here's Lazarus, and they're all excited about it. And what does Mary do? Mary breaks an expensive bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet, takes her hair and and cleans Jesus' feet with her hair. We're just one chapter later, okay? And so as I began to think about that, I thought about this. What if you could see five years from now? Right, those things that are so big in your life, the things that are the circumstances that are so overwhelming right now, what if you could see five years later? 
don't you think you would look at it differently? Right? So in other words, what if Mary chapter 12 showed up in Mary chapter 11? What if Mary zoomed out just a little bit and she said, okay, what if this could end differently? What if God is actually showing me something through this? Would it change how you respond right now? You see, the one who broke the costly perfume, the one who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, that's the one that we want to be, right? That's the, that's the follower of Jesus that we desire in our own lives. Well, how do we get to that point? Well, we can't allow our circumstances to define the moment. You see, for us, freedom in our circumstances is knowing that our circumstances don't determine our freedom. Amen? That's a good word. Freedom in our circumstances is knowing and believing and understanding that our circumstances do not determine our freedom. There is no circumstance in your life, past or present, remember, that does define you, nor does it define who God is. We only see a picture of the here and now. So we see the bondage to our circumstances, the bondage to our uh, past. We see the bondage to our past and to our belief system. And then number four, in verse 44, it says, The man who had died came out. So fast forward, Jesus goes, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Jesus stands before the tomb. He calls Lazarus out. You can read the story in the rest of John 11. And in verse 44, it says, The man who came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. So number four, a lot of people are running around in bondage to yourself. In bondage to yourself. Listen, Lazarus was wrapped up so tight, he couldn't eat an M&M through a straw. I mean, he was so tight. Don't you know some people like that? I mean, come on, maybe it's you, I hope it's not, but religious people, don't, have you ever noticed that how uptight religious people are? Oh, you can't do that, oh, you can't touch that, oh, you can't say that, right? Look, you've got to ta- stop taking yourself so seriously. There's always something these people are stressed out about, and normally it's always things that are out of their control. Right? Oh, I don't know how this situation's going to end. Oh, I don't know uh, if this is going to happen. Oh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Right? In bondage to yourself. Believing things that are true and creating this system in your life that you adhere to and, and you, you obey. And you're, you're wound up tight. Most people who are in this situation, the problem in this situation is that they want to control everything. They want to control everything. And, and here's how you can identify it. Most people who struggle in this area struggle with thoughts. They struggle with thoughts. You see what happens with thoughts. Our minds, our minds are the part of the image of God where God communicates with us, right? And he reveals his will to us. And so what Satan wants to do is he wants to keep you in bondage to your past. He wants to keep you in bondage to your old belief system. He wants to keep you in bondage to your circumstances. And so he definitely uses you against yourself. And so what he'll do is he'll try to get you to believe a lie so he can begin to work in your life. Now, he's not going to stand with, you know, horns and a pitchfork and say, hey, it's the devil, I want to try to deceive you. That is not what he's going to do. He's going to try to plant thoughts, half-truths in your mind. He's going to try to get you to think about things that you shouldn't think about. 
He's going to try to get you to conjure up thoughts in your mind that you shouldn't be doing. And see, what happens is, he's not going to try to get you to do an outright lie. He's going to cloak it. Remember uh, Exhibit A, Adam and Eve? Did God really say, right? It's just questioning. He left out some parts of what God said. He questioned what God said. And so the enemy is going to try to deceive you. And what happens is these deep roots of lies that people believe, they're very, very difficult to remove. You see, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, I want you to remember, Jesus did not use divine supernatural power to defeat the devil. What did Jesus use to defeat the devil in Matthew? He used the Word of God. He used the Word of God. And so when thoughts come into your mind, self-defeating thoughts, I'm not good enough, uh, what happens? How do you know if it's conviction or condemnation? Condemnation is always first person. I'm not good enough. I didn't do the right thing. I did the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. It's always condemning. It's always accusing. The Bible says in Revelation that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And so people who struggle with that struggle with uh, accusing thoughts. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to renew our mind. Well, how does he do that? Well, he does that through the Word of God. And so the battle for our mind has to be won only by choosing truth. Okay, so one, a verse that I've used in my life to help overcome that is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. You know, summary says, whatever things are pure, whatever things are true, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, think on these things. And so when I have a thought that comes into my mind, you know, the Bible says take every thought captive. So what I have to do is I take that thought captive and I measure it against the Word of God. Is it true? Is it pure? Is it of good report? That's the things that the Word of God says that I should be thinking on. That's how you have victory in your mind. And so these places, a lot of people are in bondage to. The good news is, if you're here this morning and you say, well, you know, I've been exposed to some of that, or I I think I may be in bondage to some of those things, that you can be free. Remember, Jesus said, I came to set the captive free. And so I want to give you just a couple of practical steps that you can do to be free. Now, this is not a recipe that do, 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 and you get. Okay, That's, this is not workspace. These are ways that God can set you free. Okay, so I just want to give you a couple of recommendations on what that looks like. So the first thing that I want to recommend to you is that, number one, you have to resolve personal and spiritual conflict. You have to resolve personal and spiritual conflict. If you have conflict with someone in your life, you are never going to be set free. And you already know that. Because you, you, when you think about that person, it makes you angry. When you think about that person, it, it makes you angry. You have angst in your heart. You have anxiety. That's because it's unresolved. And so in order for you to have freedom, you're never going to be set free from that until you resolve the conflict. So for some of you, you're going to have to make a phone call today. You're going to have to go to someone's house. You're going to have to get in front of someone and either uh, talk it out. Maybe it wasn't your fault, but you need to resolve it. You need to go to them and say, hey, look, there's a problem between us. I'm not really sure why, or I know what happened, or I'm at fault and I need to apologize, whatever it may be. But the only way you're going to get freedom is you have to start with resolution. Because not only is there personal conflict, but there's also spiritual conflict in a lot of people's lives. That just like Paul said, you're not willing to let go. Remember Paul said, I knew something was missing, but I didn't want to let go of the old things in my past. 
And for a lot of people, their spiritual conflict, that they say, I know Jesus is good, just like the rich young ruler. And I know I need salvation, but I need to resolve the spiritual side, that I've got to be willing to come and surrender to Jesus. And so you have to resolve that if you want to have true freedom. Resolving conflict. Relational turmoil is the number one tool of the enemy in the South. I've lived in Virginia, I've been to other parts of the country and different parts of the world, and I can absolutely 100% tell you relational conflict, relational turmoil is the enemy's number one tool in the South. It's because we're so welcoming. It really is. It's because we love to be around each other, Southern hospitality, and so we let everybody in. And a lot of times what happens is we let people in that damage us. And then we just sweep it under the rug, and we never deal with it, and we carry it the rest of our lives. And until you resolve that, you're never going to have freedom. So number one, resolve personal and spiritual conflict. Number two is to affirm your identity in Christ. Affirm your identity in Christ. I want to show you what the Bible says here, okay? This is not Matt's opinion. This is the Word of God. In John, same chapter, John chapter 11, verse 3. So to the sisters, uh, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus was known as somebody that Jesus loved. Look right here in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Resolve personal and spiritual conflict. Number two, affirm your identity in Christ. You are loved. That's all you need to know. God loves you, God created you, God has a plan for you, God is for you, God is for resolution, God is for uh, going before you and preparing the way for you. He wants you to resolve conflict. He wants you to know who you are in Jesus Christ. As Pastor Tony has talked the past couple of weeks about Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, that you and I, as God's creation, we are His workmanship. We're his masterpiece, his poema. We need to to identify ourselves as who we really are, and that is children of the Most High God. You need to affirm your identity in Christ. You are loved beyond measure. Jesus sees you. He knows you. He knows your struggles. He doesn't condemn you in your struggles, but he wants to liberate you from your struggles this morning. Number two, affirming your identity. And number three, You have to renounce and replace. You have to renounce and replace. Renouncing the lies that you have believed, and you have to replace them with truth. Look, you can't can't allow things that are not true to continue to reside in your life. You've got to identify those. That's what renouncing means, is to identify it and to remove it. But remember I told you I hate weeds? And one of the things I've learned about eliminating weeds in my yard is that I can eliminate a spot that had weeds in it and it becomes bare. If I don't replace that with good grass, guess what I'm going to get again? Weeds. I'm going to get weeds again. And for a lot of you, maybe you say, okay, well, I'm going to renounce it. You know, today I'm going to be set free. I'm going to, I'm going to renounce my past. I'm going to cut ties to the darkness and the sins of my past. Or I'm going to uh, renew my mind with the belief system or myself. But look, if you don't replace that with the things of God, you're going to draw all that stuff in the past right back in. It's just like the good grass. If I don't put good grass in the bare spots, I'm going to get more weeds. 
And it's the same for you in your own life. That if you don't put good grass in your life, you're going to get more weeds in your life. And so what I would suggest to you is this. Start with one truth. Start with one truth. What do I mean by that? Look, we're all human, right? There's been times where I've uh, encountered situations in my life to where what I believed was really challenged. Right? Why do I believe what I believe when the circumstances are crumbling in around you? When life doesn't go the way that you think it should? When, when something happens that totally is the opposite of what you believe? How do you respond to that? What do you do? And so for me, I had to go back to a core truth in my life. I have to have something in my life that no matter what happens, I absolutely know this stands to be true. So for me, it's John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Right? We can argue theology. You can tell me you believe that you got to do certain things to be saved or whatever, and I'll say John 14, 6. I know for sure that John 14, 6 is true. Now, what happens in my life when I encounter those moments is I rewind all the way back to John 14, 6. And depending on the severity of of the situation as to how far back I go. But I know the backstop is John 14, 6. And what God begins to do is then reaffirm all of these other truths in my life. And so for you, when you renounce renounce the enemy's lies, when you renounce the bondage from your past, you have to replace it. And the way you do that is you have absolute truths in your life, that things that you know to be true. You see, joy is a choice. Truth is a choice. Freedom is a choice. And so as we close this morning, I want you to see something that I find to be fascinating in John chapter 11. You see, we've talked about these choices that we need to make. The things that we've done to ourselves that have put us in this situation. The things that we've done that have created the bondage in our own lives. And the things that Jesus has done. You see, remember I told you as we began that Jesus is for you. And Jesus is for your freedom. And Jesus waited four days after Lazarus had been buried to show up into uh, the situation to raise Lazarus from the dead. And here's what I want you to see as we leave this morning. Number one, it is Jesus who takes away the obstacles. By yourself, you are incapable of doing anything about your situation. It is only Jesus who can do something about it. Look what the Bible says in uh, verse 39. Jesus said... Take away the stone. Jesus said that. And in your life, there's a lot of stones in your life that need to be removed. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. You can't do that yourself. Only Jesus can do it. And so it is Jesus, number one, that removes the obstacles in our life. Number two, it is Jesus who calls you to himself. Look what he says in verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And that's what God is saying to a lot of you this morning. He's calling your name and he's saying, come out. He is removing the obstacles. He's removing the stone. God is willing to do that in your life as he calls you unto himself. God wants you to be free. The Bible said if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus said my mission is to set the captive free. That is his plan for your life. Not that you would live in bondage, but that you would live in victory. It is Jesus who takes away the obstacles. It is Jesus who calls you to himself. And number three, it is Jesus who sets you 
free. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. You know what part Lazarus played in that role? Nothing. Here's Lazarus all bound up. He's dead inside. Martha said he stinks. And yet Jesus calls him out of the grave. He removed the obstacle and he said, loose him and let him go. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to identify the bondage, the things that are holding you back from being who God wants you to be. And his words are, let him go, let her go. He has the authority and he has the ability to do that in your life. You don't have to sit in the darkness. You don't have to sit on the sidelines. You can be who God called you to be. You can be free because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You have access to victory only through Jesus. Amen?